This week's TribCast is sponsored by Lone Star College. Lone Star College is hosting a free legal conference Friday, May 20th, that will address issues facing Texas community colleges and universities. Find out more at lonestar.edu. And EarthX. Check out the EarthX Film Festival for four days of films, including the world premiere of Deep in the Heart, narrated by Matthew McConaughey, May 12th through the 15th in the Dallas Arts District. Find out more at earthxfilmfestival.org. Hello and welcome to the Texas Tribune Tribcast for May 6th, 2022. My name is Matthew Watkins, Managing Editor of News and Politics for the Texas Tribune. And this week we are joined by two Texas Tribune reporters, women's health reporter Eleanor Klibanoff. Hey, Eleanor. Uh, thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for joining us. And politics reporter Zach Despart. Hey, Zach. Hey, Matthew. Hey, so um, I think many of our listeners could probably guess what our topic is going to be today, this week. Politico with a, a major, major revelation, uh, publishing Monday night a leaked draft opinion in the uh, Dobbs versus Jackson case before the Supreme Court, which indicated that a majority of the justices seemed to at least at some point be on board or exploring the idea of overturning Roe v. Wade and eliminating what has been treated by the courts as a constitutional right to abortion. You know, I assume most of the people listening to this podcast have a general gist of what's in that opinion and, and what some of its implications would be. You know, we have specifically at the Tribune been focused on what it would mean for Texas, where last year in the legislature, in the legislature lawmakers passed a trigger law in which a complete ban on abortion would go into effect 30 days after the you know, hypothetical repealing of Roe v. Wade. Eleanor, you have written many, many words about this this week and in the weeks leading up to this. Help us understand this trigger law, first and foremost. What, what does it say? What would it do? How would it work? Right. So the trigger law, as it's written, um, goes into effect 30 days after the Supreme Court rules in, uh, well, frankly, does any sort of ruling that could overturn Roe v. Wade wholly or partly, as the law says. So, you know, this current opinion, the way the trigger law would play out, you know, or the draft opinion, we should say, if that becomes the official ruling of the Supreme Court, then uh, the outcome of that would be 30 days after that ruling is no longer a draft and is official. Mm -hmm. uh, abortion would be um, banned in almost all circumstances in the state of Texas. So the law does have an exception to save the life of a mother of a pregnant person. Um, it does not have an exception for rape, incest, um, or some of those other things that other state trigger laws do have in them. So um, basically, uh, in almost all cases, abortion would be banned virtually immediately in Texas. Okay. And, you know, there is a sort of wrinkle to this, right, which is that the law that banned abortion in Texas pre-Roe v. Wade in 1973 actually still remains on the books as kind of an unenforceable law, right? Uh, I know kind of you're, you, you've been really kind of digging into the, the legal complexities uh, in the last couple of days. Explain to us how that factors into this, if at all. 
Yeah, it's a really interesting case, in part because the Roe v. Wade case, as some people know, but uh, maybe not everyone, um, stemmed from Texas. So uh, Wade was the district attorney in Dallas. And um, so the actual case that created um, a constitutional protection for abortion in all 50 states stemmed from Texas. So the Supreme Court ruled specifically that Texas's abortion laws were unconstitutional under Roe v. Wade. Um, now, the Texas legislature never went to the step of removing that from the law books, and those laws are still there. There's a lot of, it's worth saying that like all of this will face a lot of legal challenges mm-hmm. after the Supreme Court rules. Like this is not the, we're not, they're not done with uh, legal challenges on any of these fronts when the Supreme Court rules. But I think that's going to be one of the first questions is, you know, is the trigger law the law or is, are these, are these old statutes the law? And mm-hmm. it, people on both sides feel very strongly that they have the law on their side mm-hmm. on that question. And- And there's two ways that this would be relevant, right? One would be that 30-day waiting period, right? Basically, does does abortion become completely illegal in Texas immediately, or or do they get that kind of 30-day buffer uh, that that was written into the 2021 law? But maybe, you know, that's of course a very important issue. But even possibly even more importantly is the criminal liability, right? Is, Is that under the old Roe v. Wade law? Correct me if I'm mistaken, but you could be prosecuted if you obtain an abortion, whereas the trigger law is is different. Is that right? It's written the the original uh, law laws that are on the book. It's like four, five, or six uh, penal mm-hmm. codes is definitely a little bit more open to interpretation. The trigger law is written a little bit more clearly that this does not apply to a pregnant person who is seeking an abortion. The old laws does not say that specifically. So uh, it does. It talks about procuring an abortion, um, anyone who aids in procuring an abortion, and so it leaves the door open a little bit more to a pregnant person being criminalized under that. And as we've like already seen in Texas, even without that on the books, there's a lot of confusion about what a uh, pregnant person can be criminalized for. So uh, again, it's like our that's probably not the, the, not the first thing out of the gate. We're not going to see, you know, a woman being arrested under that uh, law mm-hmm. because she got an abortion, but it does leave the door open a little bit more. Sure, sure. And, you know, it's of course worth noting that, you know, not everyone in the anti-abortion movement, but many people in the anti-abortion movement, you know, want to draw that distinction, right? And, and the reason and is one of the big reasons why the 2021 law did not particularly target uh uh, mothers or, or, or people who have had an abortion instead targeting, you know, for instance, the doctors, right? Right, right. And I would also say like there's, uh, and Zach and I have talked about this, there's like wide implications of this if the fact that this law was not repealed means that it can immediately go back into effect because Texas, for example, has not repealed its sodomy laws, um, mm-hmm. though those have also been found to be unconstitutional. So it just sort of, um, and this ruling would not change that, the fact that those are unconstitutional, but it does certainly, it's a legal strategy that would lead to a lot of lawmakers probably. Uh, if I was a lawmaker, I would go back and look at like what's not been repealed, would be nice to know. Sure, absolutely. So, okay, let's let's keep, keep, keep keeping the focus on abortion for right now. 
what what does Texas look like? Let let's say it's the it's the trigger law that actually goes into effect, and and we're talking about thirty days after a Supreme Court ruling. I mean, you know, I guess we should include our caveat here that we don't know where the court is going. There has been some speculation, which seems to be in large part pretty much just speculation about why this draft was leaked. Right? It it could have been to prevent a you know, to, to try to influence a justice who may or may not have been wavering. And so, you know, there are, we, we don't have a lot of insight into how that process works behind closed doors and don't know what's on the justices' minds here, sitting here on May 6th. But, but let's just entertain the possibility right now that this were the, the ruling that comes down. What, what are people expecting 30 days out from that? I mean, what, is, what does Texas look like in terms of you know access to to this kind of care and 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 how it kind of changes things about that. Yeah, I mean, I think thirty days after, at some point after, you know, maybe immediately, mm-hmm. maybe thirty days after. Um, from what I've been hearing from abortion clinics, I mean, Texas's twenty plus abortion clinics will stop providing abortions. Um, mm-hmm. There's not going to be uh, some big swell of you know. Um, sort of violating the law. There's not going to be mm-hmm. questions about, will we be prosecuted? What does the law say? Um, that will be sorted out in the courts and they will just stop providing abortions in the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. Part of the problem with that is that um, we've seen a lot of this in the, with the six week, uh, the ban on abortions after about six weeks that we're under right now. Um, the clinics have not violated the law. They have complied. Um, and a lot of Texans have gone to states like Oklahoma to access abortion problem with that is Oklahoma also has a trigger ban. And frankly, a couple of weeks ago passed a law that will ban abortion, uh, all abortion, make it a felony this summer on top of their trigger law. So they are not an option. Uh, the nearest states that will remain um, accessible for abortions in all likelihood if Roe falls would be New Mexico, which is close to some parts of Texas, but very far from other parts of Texas. Mm-hmm. And Kansas, which similarly, um, close to some parts. And Kansas is also, this summer, they've got a constitutional amendment up um, that would uh, overturn their protection for abortion. So that's on very thin ice as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the average Texan, according to an analysis on, um, from the Guttmacher Institute, would have to travel over 550 miles to access an abortion. Mm-hmm. Eleanor, could you give us a sense of how many states are likely to ban all abortions if this ruling is what we think it may be? Yeah, so it's, I believe it's 12 or 13 states have trigger bans. So like immediate, it's already on the books. And another 12 or 13 are expected to pretty quickly get their, you know, legislators butts in seats and ban abortion. So um, you're looking at over half of states uh, will ban abortion. And as like, I talked to um, Liz Sepper, who's a University of Texas law professor who made a very good point, which is like, these are not evenly distributed states. These are not, you don't get a Texas next to a Connecticut, which is just, you know, passed a bill saying that they're going to, you know, protect abortion access. This is going to be most of the Southeast um, and most of the Midwest will lose access to abortion. What do you, what do you think, I, I mean, are the clinics or the, the activists on the ground already thinking about kind of the infrastructure? I mean, I, it, it seemed, it, I think it's, it goes without saying that there will remain people in Texas who will want to help people obtain abortions, whether that's traveling to New Mexico or wherever else in the state, have they started kind of taking the steps about how they can set themselves up to do that? 
Yeah. And I think Texas abortion clinics have sort of been leading the way on that because they've been operating under this six week ban for so long that mm-hmm. I think they are, have both like the, they have the sort of painful foreknowledge of what's about to come um, for the rest of the country. So Whole Women's Health, which is has four abortion providers, uh, four abortion clinics in Texas, they um, have opened a new abortion clinic in Minneapolis, right by the airport, so that they can just fly people there. They are opening, um, they're expanding their clinics in Virginia and Maryland, which are expected to protect abortion access, in Maryland at least. Um, and just this week, the clinic that's at the heart of the Supreme Court case in Dobbs v. Jackson um, has said that they are making plans to close in uh, Mississippi where they are now and reopen in New Mexico because like, it just doesn't make sense to remain. And I guess I personally was like sort of surprised by sort of the fatalism in that. I don't think there's like a better option, but it is just saying like for now, at least these states are lost for abortion access, at least till the courts, you know, they're going to continue to fight on the court front, but they are not going to continue to, you know, keep open these buildings. Yeah, I mean, and you know, we've already seen this, as you mentioned, with with the S, what, what is known as SB8 in Texas, the which bans at six weeks and, and places the enforcement of that law into private citizens. That I mean, essentially had the effect, right, of of halting abortions in Texas up until six weeks, as as far as we know. Right. And I think the main focus then just becomes abortion funds and pivoting towards that and which are like nonprofits that help people pay, you know, historically they've paid for the abortion itself. And now they are focusing almost entirely on paying for airfare, travel, clinic vouchers, um, childcare, uh, you know, giving people money because they're not going to get paid if they take time off work. Um, just like that real practical support. Yeah. I mean, the other the other option here that that you and and some other reporters for the Tribune wrote about this week is the option of going to Mexico, which in many parts of the state is closer than New Mexico or Kansas, um, and and might be a bit of an, an easier thing. Tell us about what y'all found about this practice and how available it is on these kind of border towns right across the Rio Grande. Yeah, there's um, sort of two parts of the Mexico story. One is like sort of the legal side of it, which is, you know, Mexico yeah. has, vote, uh, the Supreme Court has decriminalized abortion. That does not mean like it is accessible widely at all. But there's also just this very um, flourishing uh, pharmacy uh, industry along the border, um, just like right over the border in Mexico, um, which, you know, for, you know, the residents in McAllen and Brownsville, you know, those cities along the border is extremely close. Um, You can just walk Mm -hmm. right over the bridge. Um, So that, and you can buy abortion inducing medication there um, very easily and for very little money, which is, I think, an option that a lot of people in the Valley have like long relied on as sort of their Mm -hmm. primary option. There's only been one abortion clinic in the Valley for uh, several years now. Um, And it's, you know, an area that is, you know, for many, many people there are extremely poor. Abortions are very expensive. They're not covered by Medicaid. So a lot of people, that's the best option already. I think what people are waiting to see is, you know, are we going to see a flood of people to the border uh, to stock up on abortion inducing medication um, once that becomes not an option to go north? 
Yeah, I mean, one one pharmacy that was mentioned in photographing your story was a pharmacy called Uncle Sam Pharmacy. I mean, basically a business that seems to, you know, target Americans. This is it's what you know. I, I think about the um, the example of this that I always think of is these. Um, uh, liquor stores in various parts of Texas where there are dry counties or things you can't buy. And then you have the row of liquor stores right outside on the county line where people show up. I mean, there almost seems to be something to that where it's there's an understanding that these drugs are more easily obtained in Mexico. And you can, it's not just these drugs, it's all different kinds of, of, of medication. And, and they go right there. Um, I mean, it was quite a striking image talking, you know, hearing from that pharmacy manager who, you know, there's... Um, there's there's kind of Catholic artwork, you know, right above the drugs where, where yeah. people are picking up and, and kind of the, the the moral kind of conflict that that even that pharmacy manager was feeling about how this all should work. What what about the just safety of this? I mean, do is, is this something that people recommend? Is it is it uh, viewed as not advise, advisable among medical experts of, of, of kind of taking these measures into your own hands like that? So um, I will say that the uh, in the U.S., the FDA has approved these drugs for use mm-hmm. in pregnancy up through 10 weeks um, mm-hmm. under the prescription of a doctor. Um, mm-hmm. the, I think it's important, though, the important part of this is that we're hearing a lot now, now that we're looking at a post-Roe America, about pre-Roe America, where the options were much worse, right? The options were back alley abortions. You see still a lot of like coat hanger imagery, a lot of, you know, women throwing themselves down the stairs, drinking bleach, like these awful, awful things. And that is like what women died from. Um, Mm -hmm. Where we are now is like a really different set of circumstances. Women will still do that. Like that is still a um, risk. But Mm -hmm. what we have now, we have abortion inducing medications, which are overwhelmingly safe. um, And like, are extremely safe. Um, multiple long-term studies have shown that they are extremely safe for women to take under the advisement of a doctor. Um, and they're hugely accessible. We have these like international nonprofits that have basically said, you know, you can't touch us and we are going to get these pills to women uh, no matter what it takes. Um, there's a group called Aid Access that uh, has showed, like uh, they are working with a researcher that's shown like a huge spike in requests for the medication um, after Texas's law went into effect. They are scaling up, it's my understanding, uh, to prepare for this similarly. Um, And yeah, so like the medication in almost all cases uh, is like very easy to take. There are minor side effects. Some people, the problem with it, right, is like if, for example, you think you are 10 weeks pregnant and you really are 16 weeks pregnant, or if you Mm -hmm. think you are carrying a normal pregnancy and you have an ectopic pregnancy. And like, you are Mm -hmm. now taking this medication without the advisement of a doctor. And the real problem is like the fear people might feel about going to a hospital um, to take after they've taken that medication and saying like, I'm having complications from taking illegal medication. Yeah. I mean, it really is just striking. It's, it's, we have, we've been in this kind of one reality for the last 50 years, essentially. And, you know, all these kinds of conversations, which, you know, it seemed on both sides were largely hypothetical conversations up until now. They remain hypothetical conversations, but seem to be changing very quickly in a way that it's just, 
you know, when you take a step back and think about it, a, a, a pretty stunning development in, you know, American healthcare and American politics in, in Texas right now. Let's, let's pause for a minute and hear from our sponsors. Texas Women's University is focused on making Texas healthier, offering more than 80 health-related degree programs from nursing and physical therapy to kinesiology and nutrition science. Find out more at TWU.edu. And Texas Engineering Executive Education, Methane. Learn how to understand and manage this potent gas with a UT short course offered by Texas Engineering Executive Education. Learn more at executive.engr.utexas.edu. The Tribune Spring Member Drive, one of the critical ways we raised support for our journalism, ended yesterday, but it's not too late to support our work. If you value this podcast, support the Tribune and donate now. TexasTribune.org slash donate. All right. So, you know, one of the big questions here is, as I mentioned, you know, this has been 50 years of kind of political fights on this since Roe v. Wade, or almost 50 years. And we have seen, you know, in Texas for many years, concerted efforts to push kind of anti-abortion legislation, efforts to kind of prepare for this kind of dream among the anti-abortion movement that for a long time seemed kind of unreachable, but now here we are. One thing that, you know, I've been wondering, Zach, is where does the legislature go for, from here? You know, this, the, this, this kind of political movement has, has finally been realized. Where does this energy go? Are there other steps that, you know, the, the anti-abortion lawmakers in this state want to take? What, what do you expect to see this kind of, how do you expect to see this play out politically if this ruling does indeed come into fruition? Yeah, Matthew, that is a great question. So Republicans have controlled both houses of our legislature for 20 years now, and they have regularly chipped away or attempted to chip away at abortion rights during that period. There had always, of course, been that backstop of Roe um, that prohibited them from just Mm -hmm. targeting abortion directly. Um, So the question is, now that uh, it appears that Republicans, the conservative legal movement have achieved this really crowning achievement that they've been trying to do in the last 50 years in overturning Roe. Where does the Texas legislature that has made this a priority go next? Um, yep. One of the media questions is, you know, uh, are they done legislating on this? We can confidently say no. Like they will continue um, to write laws uh, about this, but they're, of course, shifting their focus. We talked with some legislators this week who really sort of outlined broadly two areas where they are considering future lawmaking on uh, the abortion topic. The first one is um, efforts to strengthen the social safety net for women and young children. There had been some bills uh, in the past couple sessions uh, broadly framed around like alternatives to abortion. There was an acknowledgement among legislators that uh, because uh, abortion will be illegal that more children will be born. So we have to, as a moral uh, sort of response, like make sure that there are the resources to um, provide for those people. Um, Mm -hmm. The second part of that, uh, and it sort of goes back to Eleanor's point about uh, all of these pre-Roe laws coming back into enforcement because they were never repealed, is uh, doing what the Texas legislature can to prevent women in Texas from seeking abortions in other states 
and people in Texas helping women and pregnant people in other states obtain abortions. Uh, this is where legally it gets a little bit murky, um, and it's it's not clear how much of a priority the legislature will make that. We spoke with uh, two members of the House uh, who are part of the, the Conservative Freedom Caucus, Briscoe Kane and Steve Toth, um, who both uh, advocated for strict enforcement of the pre-row laws we have on the books. Some of them are even as old as the 19th century. Um, mm. It's unclear how, to, how that sort of plays out. And um, considering it uh, making a law to make it easier to um, prevent people to in any way assist anyone anywhere uh, getting an abortion. It, it's not clear at this point publicly how much support among the whole Republican caucus the, will be for that. Um, the leaders of the state, so the, the governor, the lieutenant governor, uh, our speaker, um, have so far their messaging emphasized uh, that first priority I mentioned, really strengthening the social safety net and have avoided talking about sort of the more punitive approach to abortion. And I was talking with Renee Cross um, from the University of Houston's Hobby School for Public Affairs, and she had made the point that there is a very good reason uh, why Republicans now at this particular moment, with so much attention being paid to the overturning of Roe, um, not talk about some of those more punitive things. And that is because very few Americans support a full ban on abortion. Yeah. It is not a thing that polls well. Um, yeah. We'll have legislative elections later this year. Um, the uh, legislature is widely considered to be, uh, you know, safe to be Republican when we come back in January. Um, you know, Governor Abbott is, is running for re-election again. He's in a pretty good position, but uh, Renee had said, look, I mean, there are a lot of independents. There was a, a poll from UT that came out this week. Um, a majority of independents do support abortion in most circumstances. These are a lot of voters that the governor has relied on in the past. He's relying on them to be part of his coalition this time. There was really no political upside at this point to really be harping on uh, sort of more punitive approaches to the abortion issue, even if you may consider that later, you know, when the legislature comes back into session. So it, it's a bit of a weird state of play for politics right now, but that's where we are. Yeah, Zach, I think, I think your point about the, the poll is a really important one. I mean, as you said, 78% of Texas voters think abortion should be allowed in some form, um, according to the poll we wrote about this week, which happened to come out the day, the day, or two, a couple of days after this ruling, um, or not ruling, the the draft ruling being released, um, the the polling done before that, you know, it, it's also a bit nuanced, right? Because I think there it was a also a minority who said that they support kind of you know leaving it as just entirely a personal choice, but so there's there there's some nuance there in terms of where kind of the broad electorate actually is. But I think one thing that is going to be interesting to watch is that for a long time, Republican leaders have had sort of a free pass on this. They can kind of be as stringently anti-abortion as they want to be and as they know that their base of support is without having to worry too much about upsetting, you know, maybe independence in this case, because ultimately they have the backdrop of Roe v. Wade, you know, and can kind of be dismissed as as not actually having an effect on people's lives. And so it'll be very interesting to see how they kind of thread that needle. Because as you mentioned, you know, talking to people like Briscoe Kane, who are going to push very hard and try to kind of pressure, you know, the Republican leaders in this state to go as far as they can in this effort. Well, yeah, I, I guess. 
Go ahead. Yeah, I think one of the great questions to ask uh, probably later in the year, because this is all very new and we're all sort of trying to get our bearings on this, is if we look at the 2021 legislative session, when, as Eleanor mentioned, legislature had passed SB8, this very creative way to get uh, to avoid judicial scrutiny, essentially it delegates uh, the authority to enforce these um, abortion provisions to private citizens so no court can prevent a, a government official from doing so. This same legislature will reconvene um, in January without that row backstop that you mentioned. Yeah. So I think a good question to ask is, um, there is nothing stopping you from uh, giving those powers you couldn't give to the state, like literally to the government itself. Um, will the legislature consider doing that um, now that it, it will have a much freer hand to do so. Yeah, it's an excellent question. You know, I think the other question people are asking right now is what effect will this have electorally in Texas? Um, you mentioned that Abbott is 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 up for election this year. Um, it seems as though his opponent Beto O'Rourke has um, really tried to make this his kind of issue number one this week. Uh, I guess we will see whether that continues kind of into the general election. Yeah, I mean, talking with uh, political scientists this week, they feel like um, Beto should run with this issue for as, as much as it's worth. And this isn't, of course, like to belittle uh, abortion as a political issue, it's a human rights one. But sure. for a Democrat running for in a statewide office in Texas and the hardships that they have always faced, they faced the last generation, um, he really benefits from having an opportunity to especially approach moderate voters uh, who may be really turned off on the Republicans' approach to this specific issue. Yeah, you know, and I think uh, it'll be interesting to see whether this has much of an effect beyond that. Of course, we have just gone through a redistricting cycle in which, you know, there are just not very many competitive seats here. So I think there's a hope among Democrats that this will energize their voters during a year where maybe there was a fear that there wasn't that much of an energized democratic base. We have a democratic president in, in office, you know, the, the, the term, the party outside of the, the White House always, you know, seems to do better in these midterm elections, you know, and then we have a bunch of issues right now that Biden is not particularly popular in Texas or across the country. He's not, uh, you know, and there are issues like inflation and, and the border that um, are, um, not playing very well for Democrats right now, will this kind of turn things around for them in some ways, or at least allow them something to run on, I guess we will see. But as you said, there is a lot of kind of human impact that will happen to this um, before that before that moves on. I think though, that is all the time we have for today to talk about this. Thank you to Eleanor and thank you to Zach. Thank you to Justin, our producer. And thank you to our sponsors, Lone Star College, EarthX, Texas Women's University, and Texas Engineering Executive Education. We'll talk to you all next week.